Lord, we want to know you more this morning. We surrender our lives to you. We ask, Lord, that you will speak to us into our hearts this morning. Amen. So um, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the priesthood of all believers. And um, when, when I planned this, I didn't realize that Kids Life, we were, we were, we were going to partially look at, look at the same topic. So it's, uh, it's uh, good for me this morning to realize, you know what, I was speaking on the right topic. It's good. So uh, in July, um, after 30 years as a food teacher, I am hanging up my apron and uh, school has advertised uh, my job, stating the job description and a list of the qualities that they want for someone in that role. And every job has one, doesn't it? Every job has a job description. But if that job description was, or the advert was for someone to become a priest of the living God, I wonder what the person's specification, sometimes it's called, I wonder what the person's specification would say. What responsibilities would they be expected to fulfill? Well, this morning, if we're Christians, if we are in Christ, the Bible says that we are part of a kingdom of priests. We already have the job. But maybe we need to be a bit clearer on to what our job description actually says. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at why we're called a kingdom of priests or why we're called priests. Well, what, that, what did that mean in the Old Testament? How did that change after Jesus' resurrection? And then what it means for us today. So uh, I was reading that uh, rabbis, what they would often do is that they would use a technique of con uh, connecting passages together in order to convey biblical truth. It's the sort of thing Jesus did a lot. Think about when he explained to his, the scriptures about himself to, the, to his two followers on the road to Emmaus. So it'd be really useful this morning if you had your Bible handy, because we're going to we're going to go. Uh, we're going to look at quite a few different scriptures this morning. So in order that we can get a fuller idea of what it means to be part of a royal priesthood. So our first stop this morning, we're going we're going right to the end of the Bible. We're going to Revelation and we're going to look at Revelation uh, chapter one. Now, remember, the person who writes Revelation uh, is John. He was one of Jesus' best friends, a disciple of Jesus, who, in his old age, he's a prisoner on the island of Patmos. He gets an opportunity to have the curtain lifted on another reality to the one that he's experiencing. What he gets, he gets the curtain lifted to what is happening in the heavenly realms. Jesus is telling him, look, John, I know you're suffering, but your troubles are only momentary. I'm going to show you what reality really is. Caesar might think he's in control, but he absolutely isn't. I am. Now, what an encouragement to John that must have been. So we're going to start this morning by looking at Revelation chapter one, verses five to six. This is what it says. And this is where my thought about this kingdom of priests started. To him who loves us 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So what does this phrase, kingdom and priest, actually mean? And to understand it, we need to go all the way back to Exodus. In fact, what we were learning about this morning in kids' life. So pre prior to this in kids' life, we've been learning about how the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with his people. And this is what God instructs Moses to tell the people as an introduction to his giving of the law that we know as the Ten Commandments, which we've just heard about this morning. So we're going to go from Revelation, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. If you've got, if you've got your Bibles with you. This is what God says to, the, to Moses. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, here's our statement again, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So from this, we know that Israel was God's treasured possession. Out of all the peoples of the world, Israel was special. And this phrase, treasure's possession, is used elsewhere of a king's private treasury, his jewels, his riches, his wealth. Now, was it because Israel were better or more deserving than other people? Not at all. But they were the people who God decided would make him known to the world. A people who would manifest God's character to the people around them. Now, we know, if you know your Bible a little bit even, we know that Israel failed spectacularly at times in that role. But one thing that did come out of it was the system of the priesthood. And it says in the verse that Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. And the priests represented the Lord to the people. Aaron, who was the first high priest, had garments that were made of the same material as the curtain of the most holy place in the tabernacle. And that was in order to represent God's glory. In other words, the normal run of the mill Israelite couldn't go into the most holy place to witness God's glory there. But they could see Aaron and witness God's glory reflected, albeit imperfect, imperfectly, in the high priest. The priests also represented Israel to God. Aaron's ephod, which was like a, a, like a tunic on the front of his, of his robe, had stones in it representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Aaron stood before God, Israel stood before God. He represented Israel before God. When he entered the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle the blood of sacrificial animals, animals as an atonement for his sins and the sins of the people, when he presented the blood of the sacrifice which secured forgiveness, Israel benefited from that. So the presence of the priests was to create this possibility that we could have a relationship with God. And in turn, Israel was to represent God to the world 
through mission. So it was like a mutual, a mutual uh, relationship. Israel was to present the God to re represent God to the world through mission and present the world to God through prayer. The world couldn't see God, but they could see Israel. And God's intention was that Israel as a whole would be an ambassador representing God to the nations, demonstrating to the nations the character of God. So I want you to hold those ideas of the priesthood in your mind for a moment, because we're going to come back to them uh, in a few minutes. Now, God also said to Moses that Israel was to be a holy nation set apart different from the other nations around him and God's saying you may see other people in the land that I'm giving you you might see what they're doing but I want you to be distinctly different and the ten commandments that we've just heard about this morning are an illustration of this they were designed to be missional they were designed to show people what God was like they were given to shape the life of Israel so that as a nation, they displayed the goodness of God. And God was, as though God was creating one area in the world where his goodness could be seen. His people, if we think about it in terms of science, his people were his prototype, his working model. Now we know that this didn't happen. Israel looked around them, they saw the gods that the Canaanites were worshipping, and they often joined them. They worshipped idols, they took part in all sorts of pagan rituals, and in the days of Samuel, a bit later on, when they were in uh, the Promised Land, they wanted a king just like all the other nations around them, ignoring the fact that God was their king. But have you noticed that God's covenant promise was that all God's people would be priests, a kingdom of priests. Not something that was reserved for a special few, not something that was reserved just for the descendants of Aaron, which it was in the Old Testament. The old covenant system of the priesthood was going to be a picture of something a lot more wonderful. And so, as we enter the new covenant, I want you to think about what we learned about the priesthood of Exodus. The pictures of the old covenant are perfectly embodied by Jesus, our great high priest. We said, didn't we, earlier that the priesthood was designed so that people could see God's glory. Now, what does John say? We're going to John chapter 1, verse 14. Very, very famous words. John, the same person who's wrote, who, who wrote Revelation, says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the radiance of the father's glory. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. In the Old Covenant, the high priest had to cleanse himself before he could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, Jesus, who knew no sin, was the only one truly qualified to make atonement for our sin by his death on the cross. He didn't need to be cleansed. He was already perfect. 
His death brings us forgiveness. So as the, high, as the priest made sacrifices in the Old Testament, Jesus sacrificed himself in order that we might be forgiven. So he fits the person specification of the high priest perfectly, doesn't he? And as he cried, it is finished when he died on the cross. The curtain in the temple separating God and man was torn in two from top to bottom. We now have full access to the Father through what Jesus has done for us. Not like the high priest who could only have access on the Day of Atonement. And I don't think... And I don't think, well, for me personally, I don't realize how, what a big, big thing that is. We have access to the Father at any time of the day or night, in any circumstance, we have that access. Let's hear, we're going to go to Hebrews. Let's hear what Hebrews chapter 10 says. If you've got your Bible, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, there's the language again of being a priest. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have, here we are again, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So again, the same language appears in Hebrews. We are, we are, uh, Jesus is our high priest. And this whole idea of the priesthood repeats itself there. Now, in the old covenant, the priest had to be descended from Aaron. But in the new covenant, we do not have to be descended from Aaron to be part of the priesthood. We have something much better. We've been chosen to be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We don't have to prove ourselves in a job interview before we receive our status as sons and daughters, we've been chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, as Ephesians 1 says. So what does that mean for us? Do we just sit back and enjoy our privileges as priests? Of course not. That would be the same as um, somebody being appointed to a role, a job, and then never doing anything in that job. So... What does it mean for us to be a royal priesthood? So I'm sure you can guess what we're going to look at now. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This Now Peter is talking to Christians, so he's talking to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see how Peter uses the same language as Exodus? As, as God used towards Moses in Exodus, Peter uses the same language to describe us Christians. So, Let's have a look at what Peter says we are this morning. 
First, he says, uh, we are chosen. Now, we sing a song, don't we, that says, who am I that the highest king should welcome uh, me? That's how the song starts. Now, that tells us that the initiative is all with God. It's not with us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And when we became a Christian, we responded to the Holy Spirit's invitation. And just like Israel, we weren't chosen because we were better than anyone else. In his divine grace and wisdom, God decided that to make us his treasured possession. And now if that's not enough to get us on our knees in worship to him on this Pentecost Sunday, then I don't really know what is. We are chosen. We are chosen. But 1 Peter 2 verse 9 also says that we are royal. Peter says we are a royal priesthood. Now, why is he saying uh, royal? Because we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Now, at the moment, there's lots of controversies in there about Prince Harry and how he feels about being royal. And uh, lots, of his, lots of the problems in the royal family at the moment are arising because he and his family have a different idea of what being royal actually means in practice. Now, I'm not going to make any judgments here at all. But what I do know is that the royal family feel that they are in a privileged position and that requires certain standards of behaviour and ethics. And as we've seen through the years, often the royal family don't live up to those standards that, that we assume that they should meet in various ways. But shouldn't it be even more true for us? We're not descendants of Queen Elizabeth. We're descendants of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Corrie ten Boom said, God has no grandchildren. We are all, we are all direct descendants. We, we, God has no grandchildren. Each person has to come to Christ themselves. So wherever we're representing him and the values of a kingdom, that's what we're doing. We don't ever stop being royal, even on our bad day. We don't stop being royal, even on our bad day. On our good days and our bad days, we are still part of that royal priesthood. What else does Peter say? He says that we are a holy nation, which brings us to what, to, uh, to what we were talking about a bit before, that, uh, about what Israel was. The whole law was set up by God to demonstrate the set-apartness of God. How Israel was to operate was so different to the people around them. Think about it. Their, their reverence for God, you shall, have no, um, you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. I know that wasn't in the Ten Commandments, but it was a paraphrase of it. Their refusal to worship idols. You shall have no other gods before me. Their trusting God to supply their needs, reflecting the Sabbath. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy valuing the people around them by treating them as they would want to be treated. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should, you know, you should not cover your, uh, your neighbor's possessions. That should be our call too. Those values should permeate into everything we do because we are a holy nation. They should permeate into everything we say, everything we think. They should govern our relationships with each other 
and those we come into contact with on a daily basis. Israel was called to be distinctly different, and Peter says, so are we. What else does Peter say? Peter says that we are God's special possession. And we, we saw in Exodus that Israel was to be God's treasure possession. It's the same thing. We can know God as our father. He cared for Israel as the best kind of father cares for his children, with tenderness, responding to their whinging and their whining, like we saw last week in Kids Life. And he cares for us in the same way. He also has our best interests in mind. The scriptures also speak of God being a father to the fatherless. Now, whether your relationship with your father was or is good, bad or non-existent, you have this morning a heavenly father who sees you as his tre special treasure, his treasured possession. But God is also seen in scripture as our husband, now, this may seem very strange to men, but it's true for you men too. And those who trust in Christ are called the bride of Christ. The idea of a marriage is that two people agree to commit their lives to one another until death. They enter into a covenant to remain faithful to one another, no matter what the cost. And when we came to Christ, it's like we entered into a marriage covenant. We're now part of one another with Christ. And as a husband or wife should be jealous of their relationship with each other, so God is jealous of his relationship with us. Now, we tend to think of jealousy as a negative thing, as a sin. But in this context, it means that making sure nothing or no one comes between you and your spouse. You would fight for your marriage. And that's what God is saying here. That's why in the Old Testament, God often speaks through the prophets like a husband who is devastated that his wife has committed adultery. It was as though God had committed, uh, sorry, it was as though Israel had committed adultery with the other gods of the time. But nothing has changed. Our gods might be different. Our idols might be different but we still run after things that are not of God. And that's how God feels, like a jilted husband. But like Hosea, God, it, like he spoke to Hosea, the prophet Hosea, he longs for us to come back into that close relationship with him. So we've seen that God is our, we are God's special possession. We've seen that God is our husband. And being God's treasured possession also means that he's our friend. Not an acquaintance, not a Facebook type of friend, but the deep, unshakable friendship that we only have with a few people in our lifetime. The kind of friend that will lay down his or her life for you. Someone who sticks closer than a brother. The one who will be with you through thick and thin. One who will walk with you through the good times and the bad. Friendship also speaks of sharing one's heart with one another. And a huge part of that is knowing what the other is thinking. God desires to share and reveal the deepest parts of his being to us. Imagine that, really. God, the, the, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, wants to reveal 
his deepest, the deepest part of him with us, and he wants us to share ourselves with him. Now, there are so many other aspects of being God's treasured possession. We haven't got time to delve into them this morning, but maybe this week you can meditate on the truth that is your father, he's your husband, he's your friend, but he's also your good shepherd, your saviour. How wonderful he is. He's wonderful, isn't he? So why have we been called to be priests? The rest of the verse in Peter gives us the answer. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. So you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'll repeat that. So you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we learned last week, didn't we, through Tristan's uh, teaching, that through his atonement, Jesus invites us to move from death to life, from darkness to light. And that's the message we need to carry to the world around us. Remember, Israel's mission was to make God known to the world, to display his character, to be missional. And the church now is the people chosen to be the kingdom of priests who make God known to the world. The church, Peter says, is the nation which is holy as God is holy. And that requires us to lead distinctive lives. We want to make connections with people around us, but what will attract people to the gospel is not our similarities to people, but our distinctiveness. It's the difference that the gospel makes to our lives that will provoke their questions. How we deal or view similar situations to them in a godly way will show them that we are different and then they'll ask questions. But in order for us to make God known to the world, we need to know him for ourselves. We need to know him more as our husband, as our friend, as our saviour as his treasured possession. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look for the last few minutes about on a few aspects of the character, uh, God's character, and then some practical ways in which we can make that, uh, that character known to the world. So the first characteristic, I'm sure you can uh, uh, think about what I'm going to say, is God's first characteristic is love. Now, the world is obsessed by love, isn't it? It's obsessed by it. You only have to listen to uh, the songs in the charts. Not that I listen to songs in the charts uh, but, uh, at all now. Uh, but the chat in the 80s it was, and I'm sure it's no different now. Um, or we watch romantic comedies, which I love a good romantic comedy. Or we see the books for sale in a bookshop. We, we, we only need to know that to know that the world is obsessed by love. But... This love that the Bible talks about is not Eros type of love that the world talks about. Eros is the type of love, the, the falling in love type feeling. But the love that the Bible talks about is agape love, self-sacrificing love, the kind of love that empties yourself for the good of someone else. The type of love that Paul in Philippians 2 said that Jesus demonstrated when he'd emptied himself and became man. 
The type of love that keeps you committed to something or someone when it's costly to you, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when the credits roll at the end of the film and the characters start to live together, live together in all its messiness. That's agape love. And that's the type of love and commitment God shows to us. And we should be showing to each other and to the people around us. Why did Jesus keep teaching his disciples that love is the key to all men knowing that we were his disciples? Because the world doesn't experience agape love that often. And when they do, they will recognize that this kind of love is not something that can be generated by human will, but only by God. Let's think of another characteristic of God. What about his mercy and forgiveness? God's nature is always to show mercy. He longs to forgive. Think about the parable of the prodigal son. What do we convey about God's character if we choose to hold grudges or choose not to forgive when we've been wronged or choose not to say sorry to people who we have wronged? As Tristan shared last week, it was the actions of Rizpah, not David, who brought about transformation to that situation because she chose to end that cycle of violence at that time. So there's so many characteristics of God that the world needs to see demonstrated through us, isn't there? And maybe this week, as well as meditating on the different aspects of us being God's treasured possession, we can also meditate on how we can demonstrate God's faithfulness, God's justice, God's truth, God's holiness to the world around us. And it would be lovely if we could engage in conversation with each other about it. it put your ideas on the, on the uh, MCC Facebook page. Share your ideas with the WhatsApp group. How can we demonstrate the fact that uh, uh, the, God's goodness to the world? How can we demonstrate God's goodness to the world. How can we demonstrate that he, how can we declare the praises of him who have called us out of darkness into his wonderful light? We're priests. That's what the priests were doing in the Old Testament. That's what we as priests need to do today. So remember, we are a kingdom of priests. It's not just the job of the leadership that, that are priests. We are all priests. As we are the new Israel, God's special possession, each one of us has the role of representing God to the world. So let's just finish with what we started with. We'll go back to Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.